welcome back to the Stats on Insight Tech podcast. Uh, Rika and I have today a guest, uh, Abdul. Uh, I met Abdul some time ago and uh, really liked the discussion we had about the market research that time and thought he would be a very good guest for us. Uh, maybe Abdul, you can tell a little bit about you. Hello, hello. A warm welcome to all you wonderful listeners out there. Uh, this is Abdul and I currently lead a market intelligence at Kampar. And I must say it has been a wonderful journey so far and I'm absolutely thrilled to be here today. So before we dive into our discussions, I, I want to extend my sincere appreciation to Curry and uh, Rika for the invite and for the exceptional work they do. It's a pleasure to be here. So thank you for having me. Yeah, a little bit more of your background. Uh, you have a quite a extensive uh, background when it comes to the market research and analysis, right? Yeah, I, I, I bring a decade of experience in market intelligence and market research. Uh, starting from uh, from working at some consultancy firms. I started my career working with McKinsey and Company in India, back in India, and then I moved to big four audit firms, worked with uh, Strategy End, which is the part of uh, PwC now, and uh, Deloitte. Then I moved to Estonia. I worked with uh, consulting firms again in Estonia. Uh, Exceria Consulting, which is a Finnish firm, but still they have the, they also had this uh, subsidiary in Estonia, so I worked with Exceria for a year or so, and then I moved to SaaS industry, worked with Pipe Drive for two years, and then it's it has been a year so far with uh, Kempower in the e-mobility. Yeah, the e-mobility sector is quite uh, rapidly growing. Yes, that's true. We have all seen the move to greener rights has been generating more interest in things like electric bikes, scooters, and especially in electric vehicles that lead the charts in this mobility transformation that's been going on for a while now. Uh, globally, the EV market saw a big jump to 14 million sales expected by the end of this year, 2023, and that's a solid 35% increase from last year. And this is data from the IEA, by the way, the International Energy Agency. And nowadays we have around 500 models of EV available, and this is more than double of what was available four years ago. And when we talk about Europe, Europe is for sure making strong strides second only to China, which is of course the biggest EV market globally. And market share, market share for BEV or pure electric car in Europe is anticipated to reach more than 15% this year. Uh, that's about 2 million sales of pure electric car. And we expect more than 10 million sales by the end of 2030, which is not too long ago from now. These are just some info that I give you to give the idea how rapid the market is going. But I guess a lot of people are well aware about that. Yeah. That's a very interesting market uh, you also are working in up to at the moment. But uh, before we dive into the more specific uh, matters on researching that, in general, uh, it's often like, uh, uh, how do you define what is the market research? What, how it is done when it comes to the kind of, kind of market intelligence and research in the work life? I, I see market intelligence as an umbrella under which uh, I see, I particularly divide market intelligence into four four pillars, right? So one is the 
general market research, what you do, the primary and the secondary, and then the competitive intelligence is there, the product intelligence is there, and some ad hoc research that comes into, into place. So when, when I look at this kind of umbrella and I see like market research to me is the foundation of uh, informed decision making for any business. So it, it involves systematic collection and analysis of data to understand market dynamics. Uh, but at its core, market research aims to answer crucial questions such as who are your customers, what they want, and how your business can meet their needs effectively. Right. So and it, it, it includes a wide range of methodologies from surveys, focus groups, discussions to data analytics and competitive intelligence as well. But the insights gained through these market research are invaluable in shaping marketing strategies, product development and overall business growth in general. So in essence, it is it is about knowing your market inside out and uh, you know make well informed choices of the decisions for your business. Can you maybe uh, Abdul, this is my question for you. Can you maybe hmm. uh, explain a little bit how the market research itself is conducted? Like I read quite a lot of data previously, so hmm. uh, can you explain? How did the company came out with the data with those numbers? So one of the key aspects of market research is is uh, is distinction between the type of approach you adopt for the primary or the secondary research. For example, primary research basically involves the direct collection of data from target audience or market, uh, often through some surveys, some interviews, etc. But on the secondary research, on the other hand, that relies on the existing data, such as uh, industry reports or public records available or from information from the, the government statistic websites, for example. Right. So com combination of both primary and secondary research is often the best practice, and this is how um, uh, I've been doing the market research so far. So in a way, we, we try to connect the dots uh, from of the insights we get from the primary research. Uh, for example, just take a company where uh, where uh, it, it does both type of research. One, the secondary research is only mostly the understanding about the markets. You get the market dynamics, and then and on the other hand, you talk to your customers. You do the surveys, you do interviews, and get insights from them. So in a way, you're trying to understand how does the market look like. You know what are the market dynamics as such from the general on the on the using the secondary approach, but on the other hand, you're also getting insights from your customers, and then you try to connect the dots over there, fill in the gap. Gap, and, and this is where the market research, uh, you know, uh, is is sh sh gives you a very true color of of uh, helping you with uh, the the you know, well-informed decisions to be made based upon the data you get of these two research. So ultimately, the market research is is a very powerful tool uh, that, that empowers businesses to make data-driven decisions. And they could, this could also uh, minimize risk and maximize the opportunities for your business. I agree that market research is a very powerful tool, but... Uh... Based on my experience, also there's always challenge and limitation when doing market research, and we know that the, the EV market can be complex, shaped by factors like uh, policies, consumer trends, technology, and other yeah. things. Yeah. So, what do you think are the biggest challenges and limitation in analyzing or forecasting the market of such complex industry? 
Oh, the the e-mobility sector is is a dynamic and and very rapidly evolving market, driven by by technological innovation and also changes in environmental priorities as such. But the market research in this sector is 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 equally crucial to navigate the complexities and to to seize the opportunities what's there in the market right now. So one of, one of the key challenges is the the piece of uh, technological change happening in the industry. Uh, because EVs are undergoing continuous advancements, including improvements in the battery technology, the range, and also the charging infrastructure for these EVs, right? So effective market research should should basically involve staying ahead of these developments to anticipate trends, adapt business strategies accordingly. So the, as you said, the, the challenge in, in this particular industry is the complex web of regulations and incentives. Right. So different regions and countries have varying policies and incentives related to the EV adoption. But but market research must be done at very granular level, taking into account these local regulations, incentives, and also the infrastructure development. So understanding these particulars is, is very vital for, for any market entry or business expansion strategies in this particular e-mobility sector. But but definitely not missing out the macroeconomic factors, the OEM demand, and also the supply chain and sourcing issues that can also pose a significant challenge in the e-mobility market, right? So with, with all these, market research can help in identifying potential supply chain vulnerabilities and developing uh, contingency plans to mitigate these kind of risks. But uh, uh, I, I say, Rika, the, the, other than this, when you talk about the uh, consumer perspective, perceptions because this has also been one of the primary driver in terms of EV adoption rates, right? Yeah, that's uh, Then it would directly affect the the EV industry. So one way I look at the EV, EV adoption in the market is the EV readiness index. So I closely follow the EV readiness index of the countries or the regions uh, in particular. So, so the of course, this is again the third party, third party organizations or third party research done by some consulting firms. Uh, they they source this sort of information and create a report on EV index or the EV readiness index by the countries. So they 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 consider three or more factors. For example, the EV charging infrastructure, the total cost of ownership, and also the EV pricing, the EV policies, uh, or, or the subsidy or the funds. Uh, by the government in the particular country or the state. So altogether, this gives us an EV readiness index, which also in turn affects the EV adoption, right? So the good, the readiness index of that country, so we can anticipate like the EV adoption could be much better when compared to the other countries or previous years as such, right? And to, to just understand these consumer perceptions, so, and also the adoption rates of EVs, that can change rapidly based upon these, right? So understanding these trends through market research is also equally essential. So factors such as range, range anxiety. Well, I, I'm not. I, I still don't understand why the range anxiety is one of the one of the uh, you know the team motivator factor for 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 the for most of the people. I have seen so many surveys. Um, lately, it has been, you know. The drivers, the sustainability, you know, uh, these kind of positive drivers, uh, which are motivational factors for the people moving to the EVs. But at the same time, range anxiety is something which has been there existing in the reports for so long time. But I, I, I think it's going to change soon. 
I think these kind of technological developments in this industry, the strong uh, EV charging infrastructure coming into place, I think this is gonna this is gonna change, and and then also one of the primary factor I see is the pricing influence on the consumer choices, right? So keeping fingers on 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 the pulses of consumer preferences will allow businesses to adapt and meet the evolving demands of e-mobility market effectively. Let's touch on the point about uh, you saying how the market is rapidly changing. Uh, I have to say that I do all those things or almost all those things that you are doing also, like following the index, uh, following the surface uh, and so on. But uh, most of the reports are based on last year's number or uh, like let's say six months ago while we know that the e-mobility market is zooming ahead super fast so the data from just a few months ago might be old news today yeah and there's always new new stuff going on in the market like uh like new policies new incentive scheme Mm. and also the company is also going a lot of change also like tesla for example previously kept to themselves now they start selling its superchargers to other companies that will of course change the market dynamic right of course of course yeah but then market research takes time so even new reports might be showing all the data and they don't Mm. take this Mm. new market dynamic into account so I'm curious, how do you deal with this time like in market reports and all other available data to make sure that your analysis and forecasts are accurate? Yeah, so, uh, you know, <clears throat> that is why I said like, you know, keeping your pulse, uh, you know, uh, or tracking the macroeconomic factors is equally important, right? And yes. I, I, I just tell you this sentence. So there are a number of sources for you to get the data, right? So there yeah. are many credible sources, and also there are many incredible sources to get the data, right? So you have to find those credible sources and make a list of those sources. You 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 follow those sources, you follow the data, and you you keep following those only. You you cannot jump from one source to another because the numbers, uh, uh, the data might completely change from one source to the other. This is just just the data part, data part. But when you talk about these kind of changes on the in the policies and in the incentives, so this is where the macroeconomic factors come into place. For example, I'll just give a simple example of Germany right now. Right, Germany recently announced the 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 fading away of incentive for the businesses uh, uh, on on the EV side. That means the businesses who who get the EVs will not be eligible for the subsidy now. So only the private or the personal uh, private customers can can avail this subsidy from the Germany. So this has created a lot of headwinds in the EV adoption in the in, in the Germany. For example, in August, the EV EV sales so the uh, has has jumped to around 171 percent. And then we expect it's going to be uh, a flat downfall in, in September in, 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 uh, in October and in the coming months. Because of this little change in the policy, the whole outlook of the German EV market might be affected. It might not drastically affect a huge impact on the EV adoption, but of course it might create some sort of headwinds. So I I particularly, the primary, you know, the top line metric for you to Mm -hmm. follow is 
the EV policies and incentives. Keep tracking those policy changes. Keep tracking these these uh, the governmental uh, the government body who is who is taking care or who is responsible of uh, creating modifying these EV policies in the states or in the in the regions, right? So these kind of news, these kind of uh, you know the the maybe you can do some uh, media discourse analysis. You keep track of these uh, uh, these these changes as do some alerts or notifications on these statistic websites so you get you get all those notifications and keep keep monitoring few of the organizations for example ACEA is a place you have uh, you get all these kind of reports what's happening on the discussions on the UN side but 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 also this this is where i see this is the primary driver for the EV adoption if the EV policies or the incentives are reducing or creating headwinds in the EV adoption in any of the region or the country, then it's then it's it's going to be it's going to become tighter and tighter for the EV penetration. On the other hand, I see without these EV incentives or the funding or the subsidies, it will be again a chicken and egg theory for the EV adoption and the charging infra, right? Mm -hmm. So it has to have a stronger policies right now i see and and also you might have also seen the 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 one of the one of the factor affecting the ev adoption is the ev prices right yes. and there has been a latest i mean lately a discussion on this like how the chinese evs are entering into the eu market because the the pricing is very competitive of the chinese evs when you compare to the other oems or other brands in the europe right so yeah. you you can see you can see for example this in in Norway, you can see for example this in the other countries. For example, G Germany is not the place, but 80 still, yeah. Of says, yes. <laughs> so this this is this is this is this is something very very crucial already for the for the governments to understand what are the barriers of EV adoption. Of course, the subsidies are somehow driving the 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 e mobility, but still there is a huge gap. Right, it's it's right now I see EVs as kind of an you know the premium or kind of a luxury segment right now. I agree with you. Yeah, right. So the more the prices for the EVs becomes competitive, it becomes a kind of an you know easy grab for for the customers, and this would give a huge boost to the to the whole EV industry. Not just only the EVs, but also the EV charging infra because EV charging infra is to, is you know somehow directly or indirectly dependent on the number of EVs there in the state. How you how you, I, I, you know for me to just just look at how strong the EV charging infra should be. I go back and track and take the targets of what EU has been saying. What are the targets for the charging infra, the charging points for per EV? They say. OK, right now, how many number of BEVs are there in Europe? I'm talking about park values, like all the number of vehicles. So the for say we have 10 million. I'm, I'm just saying this number. I'm not not saying like this is the exact number. Just mm -hmm. per say there are 10 million. And we say like, OK, how many number of charge points are needed? To to run these 10 million EVs in Europe without any without any issues, that means Overcoming the pain points of the EV drivers, for example, range anxiety, having an efficient charging infrastructure, reliable and efficient charging infrastructure. I think I, I want to stress on this word 
having an efficient and reliable charging infrastructure. Right there, there are charging in you know charges installed, but doesn't work. So th this has been also a kind of an uh, issue uh, with, with the EV drivers have brought up. Right, so they are desperately in need of EV charging. They see a charger, they go and plug it. It doesn't work. Yeah, reliability and, and can, can be an issue. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. this is this is the issue, and then and then uh, and and then the EV prices and all these kind of barriers create it's, it's creating kind of a vacuum. So the more uh, the the EVs are evolving in technological front. It has to also be made economical for the people to go and buy the EVs. Right now, the funding they have been in some changes in few of the countries uh, on the EV policies. Norway introducing what Germany getting rid of the EV subsidy for the businesses. So these type of decisions will have a huge, you know, some some headwinds in the EV adoption. So monitoring these EV policies or the organizations who build and append these EV policies is is crucial when you're talking about market research in the immobility. So that's that's the top line metric is top line factor for me to to look at. And of course, uh, on the other hand, there is in there there is the OEM side, right? Mm -hmm. There we see what's happening on from on the OEMs. I take an example of uh, VW, right? What's happening on the uh, on, on, with OVW in uh, uh, on the EV front, right? So these these has to be monitored, tracked hand in hand. It's it is not just you you pull the numbers from the sources, you run some analysis, you do some predictions based upon the you do some educated guess on guess on on the data uh, and the patterns you come up with and then you say like OK, it's going to be some X market. It's going to be a huge market. OK, that's cool. That's fine. But then it has to be iterative. It is not just the one time you do the analysis, you do the uh, the numbers and then you you say, OK, let's just build a strategy upon the data. What we have got it, you know, we have uh, analyzed. And then it cannot just sit there for the rest of the years. So it has to be iterative. It has to be continuously monitored. It has to be it, it has to be, you know, the, the person who is working on this his job has to be keen enough to keep himself or herself to 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 up to date on what's happening outside. But you know, come up with the key KPIs. What 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 are the what are the what are the top line metrics I have to monitor? In that particular region or the country, and that is how you you structure the market research. What are your top line metrics? What kind of effect it has? You know, just give some percentages or some ranking. Okay, five five of the, these top lines, and then you say, okay, top five covers almost 60, 70 percent or 80 percent of impact on the e, total e-mobility market, and that is how you keep tracking those metrics, and and you know monitor these ones. That's very good insight on what yeah. to track and what to monitor on top of the data that you already have. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's a cool. very uh, almost like overwhelming to think like how many different things and variables there are and the data. And regarding that, I was wondering like because yeah, there's plenty of data and variables you should take and or could take 
in account. And mm-hmm. what are kind of common pitfalls you should be careful with if you are sourcing or interpreting market data or forecasts? I think uh, I, I speak from my experience, of course. So uh, it's 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 more about the human mistake because the more you work with the numbers, there is the, the probability of making mistake on the numbers increases. So I I would say uh, because businesses are increasingly relying on these kind of uh, uh, you know uh, the data and also big data coming into role and and you know maintaining data quality is also very very critical right because the inaccurate inaccurate data can can propagate uh, through various analysis and then into the decision making process leading to costly errors right so i would say you uh, include few of the data cleansing and validation procedures uh, when when you are uh, when you are at the data collection stage itself Right. So market research starts at the data collection stage. So you have to be very careful. You 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 build your framework, you build your methodology. Okay, this is this is this is this is what this is it, what I'm trying to do now, what I'm gonna do now. So meanwhile, you have to also come up with some data cleansing and validation procedures. For example, I ju- I'll just give a short example for the e-mobility industry again. Uh, it could be the charging station duplication, right? So we have to you have to be very careful. Uh, you don't uh, duplicate the the charging stations what you have included in your uh, in, in in your analysis, or maybe the standardization of charging connector types. I don't know. Maybe it is it is just the 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 uh, historical data cleanup, or maybe something you mess up with the model names or, or some manufacturers had its you know names. So you have to you have to include or come up with few of the validation procedures, the data cleansing, so that you don't have the repetitive data, a du- data duplication in your analysis, because one number. You know the duplication of one, just one number, will take your estimates to other place. This is this this has happened. Like, okay, it it was just one one metric which was additionally included in the analysis, and then the result was completely an outlier value. And then we had to track back all the way, like, and then go through all like full analysis and see step by step to see what you know, where it went wrong. So this could have been avoided at the first place in the initial stage itself. Each step you do this data cleansing and validation, each step you move ahead of your analysis or your prediction, you go back and do these uh, these procedures, then you can you can you know mitigate this risk of having these uh, you know the data errors at the end. Uh, when I'm thinking like the, if we're talking like companies who are building products and selling them to the customers who don't have like kind of resources of the market research companies, so obviously you cannot always uh, do the research yourself and verify that way that the numbers, you know where the numbers come from. So you have to take granted research by then others. And of course, it's possible that somebody else has made a mistake. Do you have some way that you try to uh, re- recognize if there is a mistake in the research you access, for example, done by others. Yeah, 
see the best way uh, for me uh, how i do it is you 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 for example you you're looking at the e mobility market per se uh, by 2030 just want to understand how big the e mobility market market going to be by 2030 or 2040 whatever just say 2030 for now and then you pick up all these numbers from from various sources you just not you, you don't stick to one source per se you have your source but you also pick the numbers from the other sources go four or five different sources six number of sources you want to pick up if the the, the values what you have picked up including your source is in the range and you don't feel any of the source give you an outlier value so if gives for example you say it's going to be some some 20 billion market and all the others uh, you know on an average it's going to be 20 billion market but there is one source which says it's going to be 40 billion market so that is definitely not the source you look at so you, you roll out in these these kind of uh, uh, scary sources or incredible sources out uh, when when you when you look at the, when you when you look at the market reports because for the for the companies who don't have this uh, in-house capability of 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 having a market intelligence expert within an organization so they they depend upon these these studies they they get from these third party sources right so it is it is and and most of most of the time it happens like they they pick one one provider they get the report they look at the numbers and they build they start building their their strategy on the, on the numbers what they see right so i would say before before going into the step of of uh, utilizing those numbers from the report validate i wouldn't say that this is kind of a validation but at least look at the reports what you know what what other reports are talking about what are the numbers from the different resources from the other reports as well and all the other numbers are talking about on, on the you know on the similar range the range and the same there's no big difference or huge difference so then you can deep dive into the what what methodology the report has been you know uh, you know the built upon what sort of analysis they have done what sort of data and what are the metrics uh, they have used to come up with these estimations and what are the factors that they say that might affect the estimations in the report you can deep dive into those you need not deep dive uh, about all these methodology and factors in all the reports maybe you stick to one report that's fine because you cannot you you will not be anyhow implementing these methodologies or these these metrics in any of the uh, you know any of the in-house calculations you just take the report you read the report pick the numbers cross check with the other sources as well see the number is in line okay let's go this it's going to be in the, in this range any outliers remove those sources those sources are not good for you all right that was very uh good inside how you look into the different uh, kind of uh, variables and so on and handle it and yeah maybe the i have one question like often like uh, yeah like when i went you first time i was like well uh, it's very rare to meet like in the company level the people who have such a structured way of course very rarely people are full time doing market research they are doing in the side of their job and for companies when they grow uh, you use the data in different amounts different needs and so on but bigger you grow and more market you start covering more products you have more the data of course you should use in the decision making uh, 
how do you think the companies who are just starting to use like uh, systematically the market insights in their decision making how should they get started with it because of course, obviously they cannot uh, jump to the level what you are doing at the moment straight away if they don't have dedicated people for it and so on how would you start as i said i i think uh, the organizations without the capability of in-house market intelligence so it has to be some efforts made on on getting these these studies or the reports you know of the particular industry so most uh, I, I assuming most of the organizations have their key markets or the targeted markets so i don't assume the company which is on the on the early stages of the establishment i i i don't assume they're gonna definitely look at the global level they don't want to get all this all the information okay what's happening in the world i want to know everything uh, from 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 the north america region to to the southeast asia right they would have their own target and markets the key markets where they really want to to uh, you know to, to enter into those markets right so in order to have that sort of uh, market entry strategies built, they should do the market explorations projects. Of course, they don't have these these uh, these uh, again the person to do it. So they what they do is they look at these uh, these market reports by the region or by the country, right? So then they might get some trimmed or maybe. Uh, maybe uh, directed insights about the key focus markets. This could be the one way, but again, they they can be a number of parameters. They would you know they they would like to monitor. They would like to uh, look at the market. So for any organization, it has to it has to be like they decide on the KPIs. They they decide on the parameters. Uh, they. Uh, other market exploration projects they would they would like to look into and later pick those as KPIs and monitor those KPIs. So this this would be a very kind of a quick way to do it. I, I mean, organizations have been doing it already. So but I'm, I'm, if there is something else which I'm not aware of, and <laughs> I would really like to hear how these companies are doing it. Yeah, it's uh, pretty much uh, describes. I would say I've been working in the startups and growth companies most of my career, and yeah, pretty much describes the approach done. And yeah, I do hope that the companies know at least what are their key target areas and uh, who are their customers, at least as you mentioned. And I really appreciate that you came to visit our podcast and uh, gave really good and professional perspective on how to look and analyze the markets. Thank you so much for this session, Abdul. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. A special offer for our listeners. We are giving you full access to statistics for 30 days by registering at statson.com with the code statson, spelled in uppercase S-T-A-T-Z-O-N. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Visit our website and get our text 360 newsletters. If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe, recommend the podcast to your colleagues, friends and family, and follow us on social media.